KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall with your hosts Corbin Sturch and Zachary Payne. Your vintage radio program here on KUOZ 100.5 FM. Community radio produced by the Radio Television Video Department here at University of the Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas. From the concert hall plays some of the famous artists of the past, as well as features a few of our very own from right here at home. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we take you live right here to our very own little concert hall. Thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Sturch. Tonight we will be going over uh, Dietrich Buxtehuda. Um, he was an organist and composer of the Baroque period. His organ works represented a central part of the standard organ repertoire and are frequently performed at recitals and in church services. He composed a wide variety of vocal and instrumental idioms and his style strongly influenced many composers including Johann Sebastian Bach, Today, Buxtehude is uh, considered one of the most important composers in, German, in Germany of the mid-Baroque period. Uh, Corbin, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the Baroque period? What it's, what's it about? Uh, sure. The Baroque period was that spot after the Renaissance that is the transition. Well, we, there wasn't that clear transition just like with the medieval to Renaissance. I guess there's never really a clear transition in music a lot of times. No, it all kind of blends together yeah. in, between, <laughs> in between those sections. But it's this period where you see music really start to take its shape. But not just music, the arts. The Baroque is, like the Renaissance, a time for the arts, a time of just this rejuvenation. But in the Baroque, things really got finite. You see grand architecture. In Germany especially, you see a lot of what they called that Romanesque revival. You've got domes being used again. You've got emphasis on arches and form. Same thing in painting. Now you're seeing contrast in light and dark and shading. And in music, we get such complex melodies, complex notions. And I, I, honestly, I think this is a time when music was at its peak of complexity. I would agree. I mean, after the Baroque, we start to see... Well, in the Baroque, we see musical form take its true shape as we know it now. And that's a lot of why in music we go back and we always reference the Baroque and that early period, like... As an organist, I know for me, it's always talking about Bach or Buxtehude mm-hmm. or people like that from the Baroque because they they port the foundation for organ music as you know it today. But I think aside from just working or organ music in the Baroque at least, we see music as a whole in the Baroque setting as standard for music later to grow off of, to be compared to. It's that musical standard. Absolutely. And then uh, wasn't it also during this time that we really started to get see our first uh, like notation of music that actually is closer to our style of how we note music now inside bars and such? Or is that the Romantic period? No, it was during the Baroque. We saw music start to have more lines in it. I mean, as we know, in the Renaissance, we mm-hmm. saw the F and the C or the F and the G being notated. And they had lines for that that were different colors. But in the Baroque, we start to see the full staff take shape. And we do see that in the Baroque, yes. Yep. So, great time for music, art, and architecture. Yeah. It was definitely the time to be an artist. Absolutely. Better pay, for sure. Yeah. So, can you tell us a bit more about Buxtehude's early life? Absolutely. Uh, He's thought to have been born um, with the name uh, Diederik Buxtehude. Um, scholars dispute both year and country of his birth. Uh, however, most are now settled into uh, 1637 in uh, Hellingsburg, uh, Skane, at the time uh, part of Denmark. Uh, his obituary stated that he recognized Denmark as his native country whence uh, he came to our region. He lived about 70 years. Others, however, claim that he was born uh, at Oldeslo in uh, Duchy of Helstein which at the time was part of the Danish monarchy. 
Uh, later in his life, uh, he Germanized his name and began singing documents, uh, signing documents as uh, Dietrich Buxtehuda. Buxtehuda was exposed to the organ at a young age, uh, as his father, uh, Johannes Buxtehuda, was the organist at St. Olaf's Church in Helsingor. Uh, Dietrich was employed as an organist first in uh, Helsingborg, uh, and then... St. Mary's in Helsingborg is the only church where Buxtehude was employed that still has the organ in its original location. And so uh, that's where he got his start at. Um, later on, of course, he moved around, moved to different places, got more famous, wrote more music. The usual story as to uh, composers of this age. Father told them what to do, they did it. Right. I mean, it was still a practice back then to follow in the footsteps of the family and what you did. Blacksmiths stayed blacksmiths. Musicians stayed musicians. Mm-hmm. That ca- that system still was in play at this time. Which, funny that you actually me- mention uh, blacksmith and, you know, how they worked with metal. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual term for uh, someone who would be making music with still having the smith in the name is actually Aerosmith. Arrow <laughs> being the Latin term for music and smith being maker. And so technically the band Aerosmith <laughs> it means music maker and i found that out in eighth grade from one of my uh, literacy teachers and i thought that was crazy like that they actually meant for that to happen i think right or they could have just done it because it sounded cool but i think it was on purpose which is pretty awesome the things that stick with us <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so uh do you want to continue on that Corbin? sure sure book to his last post as an organist uh was from 1668 which was in munich kirk which had two lovely organs, a large one for big services and a small one for devotionals and funerals. There he was succeeded, oh, sorry, there he succeeded Franz Tundor. And, of course, following in the footsteps of many of his predecessors of this time, he married her daughter, Anna Marguerite, in 1668. This isn't uncommon. I mean, like I said, it was a common practice for you to marry the daughter of the person who was there before you, if they had a daughter, of course, which at this time you would see large families. With many daughters. So just, you know, pick of the litter, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Buxtehuda and Anna Marguerite actually had seven daughters wow. who were baptized there at that church. However, the first daughter died as an infant. So, oh, yes. sad. After his retirement as organist at St. Olaf's Church, his father joined them in Ludbeck in 1673, um, sadly, he died a year later, but a lovely note on that is that Buxtehude actually composed his, the funeral music for his father there. Wow. And later, his brother Peter, who was a barber, well, I guess some people get out of the music trade, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Joined them in 1677. Well, actually, uh, typical of the age um, was that the the first son always took over the profession of the father. Okay. Yeah, the first son would always do that, while the uh, second son would have a would have more of a choice of what he wanted to do. While mm. usually the third or fourth son would become a priest. That was the typical range of it. Like you do what I do, you get to pick. You're a priest, <laughs> and so that's kind of how the how it went back then for families. Whenever they would have seven, eight kids each. Right. So his post in the free imperial city of Ludbeck notice that they've changed that there, afforded him considerable latitude in his music career, and his autonomy was a model of, for careers and later broke masters, such as George Friedrich Handel, Johann Matthiessen, and George Philip Telemann, and of course Bach. In 1673, he reorganized a series of evening musical performances initiated by Tunder, known as Musik which attracted musicians from diverse places and remained a feature of the church until 1810. In 1703, Handel and Matthiessen both traveled to meet Buxtehuda, who was by then elderly and getting ready to retire. And he offered the position to both of them, but stipulated that the organist who succeeded him had to marry his eldest daughter, Anne Margrethe. Both Handel and Matthiessen turned the offer down, and left the day after their arrival. So I wonder what that says about his lovely oldest daughter. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> that could say a lot of things. Maybe not so lovely. Yes. Now, in 1705, J.S. Bach, which is Johann Sebastian Bach, 
then very young, we think around 20, reportedly walked from Arnstadt to Ludbeck, a distance of 400 kilometers, which is 250 miles as we know it, and stayed there nearly three months to hear this festival of music, these evening concerts, and then meet Buxtehuda and hear him play. And according to Bach, as he explained it, to comprehend one thing and another about his art, saying why he went, it was to learn more from this person and understand it more. And it's reported that Buxtehuda really had an influence on Bach later in his life, and I think we can hear that when we hear some of Bach's music. Absolutely. Now, in addition to his musical duties, Buxtehuda, like his predecessor, Tender, served as church treasurer, which at this time was very common, that the organist would also be the treasurer of a church. That's interesting. Isn't it? They put the person in charge of music and charge the money, too. I wonder what most of the money went towards. Right. (laughs) I think it's clear to say. Now, although we're going to be looking at his organ music tonight, Buxtehuda, during his own time, was mainly known as a vocal composer. And only about a hundred or so of his vocal compositions survive. Very few of them were included in the Imperial German Manuscript of Music at that time. And we we really didn't see them coming back into play until the early 20th century. Before that, Buxtehude was primarily regarded as a keyboardist and a keyboard composer. But it's interesting to know that during his time, he was known for his vocal music. But then later, he became known for his keyboard music. It's interesting. It's just like with Bach, I think, where we hear that the music was lost of Bach. He wasn't very popular in his own time. And we started finding it later, people using it to, like, rap fish or... Just in their day-to-day lives. That's crazy. It is. And it. And now he's such an influential key role, has such a key role inside music today. Yes. Listening to how the sheet music was treated at the time, we'll, we'll see later tonight in one of the pieces where music was lost. So that'll be an interesting thing to hear and wonder about later. Hmm. Now, the first piece we have up tonight is the Magnificat Prima Toni by Dietrich Buxtehuda. It's six verses of the Magnificat, which is a song to Mary or song of Mary, praising her. You know, at this time, Lutheran Church would have taken effect, and being in the area that Buxtehuda was in, he could have he could have easily been Lutheran or he could have been Catholic. I'm, I'm not sure our research didn't indicate which he was. Considering it said that they were baptized, it's fair to assume that they were Catholic. And also the St. Mary's Church. That's Yes. Very, very clear Catholic. indicator that probably Catholic and it was assumed. Mm-hmm. But in this Magnificat, we see we'll have a Takata-esque introduction. And then on the six verses, it'll be more relaxed and follow what would have been accompanied by a choir to sing this Magnificat, which is a piece of service music for the church. So let's listen and enjoy and see if we can pick out these six different verses during this Magnificat Prima Toni. Enjoy.
And that was the Magnificat Primitoni. Now, up next on the show, we're going to be looking at a piece from Buxtehuda that the a lot of the manuscript it was lost. It's an interesting concept, just like you were saying earlier, how people would you know use some of his uh, use some of the uh, the writings of the music to wrap fish in, do other everyday life things, you know. Um, it essentially caused a lot of the music to be lost. Right, and this is one of those pieces that musicologists think that this bit, this fugue in C major, was just a work within a major work that Buxtehude had written. And that would be interesting to maybe be able to hear all of it, but it sadly would be. you can't. So I think it'd be interesting when we listen to it to listen and see if we can figure out what might have come before it or after it. We'll never know, but we can always guess. Exactly. Remember with the with fugues, you have melodies. You've got one melody in one hand, another melody in the other hand, and a melody in the pedal also for organ. Now, an interesting note on Buchs Tehuda is that a lot of his fugues aren't actually true fugues for organ, and that a lot of his organ works he didn't include pedal for when it came to fugues. Interesting. Yeah. Also yeah. that they're even still considered fugues without the pedal. Exactly. I, you know, it may just be leaving it up to the discretion of how the music is formed to call it a fugue. I can see that. Right. Well, here it is, Dietrich Buxtehude's Fugue in C Major. <laughs> KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas.
Welcome back to From the Concert Hall. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Sturge. Tonight we've been looking at the organ works of Dietrich's Buxtehude. Now, a note I forgot to mention earlier was a bit about the organist and the organ actually being played here. All the pieces you hear tonight are going to be played by the organist Jorgen Ernst Hansen. And this, he's playing the organ of the Church of the Savior in Copenhagen, which is in Denmark. Now, the organ at Church of the Savior in Copenhagen is one of two large organs built between 1686 and 1690 by the brothers Johan and Peter Peterson Botsen. Um, they're the first native-born Danish organ builders, and this is one of the earliest great Scandinavian organs. And its design reflects North German practices and because of this, it's an ideal instrument for the performance of the music of Buxtehude and his compatriots. So this is going to be a wonderfully big organ, and it's close to original condition that is going to reflect the style from back then. Which what, is pretty hard to find. Right. It's starting to be mimicked more and more. We started to see a revival of this style of organ building back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s here in the States. But this design is really complex. You, well, any organ design is complex, but you've this got, one especially. Mm, it's the first time we start seeing true organ being built. Okay, that's fair. You start seeing the pedals taking their shape, the different stops being actually added, full keyboards, more than one keyboard. And it's the organ really starts to take its shape in the Baroque. Hmm. especially in these areas in Germany and Scandinavia and that whole area in Central Europe. It's a lovely area for organ culture, organs at this time. And like I said, we started to see this coming back in the Americas in the mid-20th century, but you're going to have, if anyone listening is an organist, you're going to have a completely flat pedal board instead of one that kind of curves so it's easy to hit with your feet when you're playing. And you're going to have keyboards that what we would call white keys are going to be black or a dark wood color. And your sharps, our black keys as we call them, are going to be a lighter color. You're going to have one or two people operating hand-pumped bellows to put air into this instrument. And you're going to have one or two people pulling stops for you because the, the stops, the different sounds in this organ, are going to be controlled by knobs that are about as big around as a doorknob and about just as big if not bigger that you're going to have to pull out several inches wow and it's going to take a couple people to do this for an organ <laughs> that sounds pretty complicated a lot more work than what i would want to do to play one instrument yeah you can't just go practice organ at 2 a.m during this time <laughs> definitely not <laughs> i wouldn't have been able to make it no so zach can you tell us a bit about the Pasacaglia and d minor this piece we've got coming up next Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Pasacaglia in D minor is uh, one of uh, very few northern German works in this form. Uh, it reveals Buxahuda's ability uh, as an architect of rigorously organized structures. Uh, the composer, uh, Buxahuda, he arranges his variations on the Beso Ocinato um, into four sections. Um, inside this piece, he's actually, uh, the melody is going to stay inside the bass, which is mean inside the pedal keys that he's going to be using. Um, that's where the bass is actually the uh, melody is actually going to be at, which is unheard of. I mean, especially like in comparative to me for being music for mm -hmm. vocal music, um, you hardly ever see the melody inside the bass line. It's always inside the right. soprano, alto, sometimes tenor. Right. And so it's a really an interesting piece. Um, as we're listening to this, uh, uh, it appears in different keys in each section: uh, D minor at the first, uh, F major at the second, a minor in the third, and D minor. Once uh, more in the last, uh, the systematic plan of majestic music, as well as several pa uh, passages within the piece, point to Bach's great C minor uh, Pasacaglia um, later on. And so, you definitely, uh, as you listen to this, if you've heard that by uh, by Bach, you'll uh, you'll notice it, and you'll realize where uh, Bach has some of his inspiration from inside this piece. It goes back to that story of, you know, Bach walking all those miles to listen to Buxtehude. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And so it's just, it's interesting that we can see that inside his work and see uh, the influences that Buxtehude had on him. Now, just an interesting note on this piece before we play it. Whenever we hear Buxtehude organ pieces, especially with a lot of pedal, 
chances are they were written very early on his very early on in his career before he took the church position in Ludbeck because even though he had two organs there they he wasn't the main organist he was the person leading the choirs and directing the program and the organs were also reportedly in a bad state of repair at the time so a lot of his work then was choral work so a lot of his organ works came early in his career hmm good to know so this is a piece that would have been written earlier in his career like a lot of the pieces we're going to be listening to tonight so and going back to just organ building in general you've got that bass line it's got the melody that pedal in the organ is finally taking shape which is awesome because now that's such a key part inside the organ today. It is. You can't have an organ without pedals. Exactly. <laughs> can't keep it simple. Well, you can have an organ without pedals. It's called a little continuo or chamber organ. It's what organs used to be. You had one keyboard, and that was where the melody was. It doesn't sound as nice, though. They're really sweet instruments with a great tone. Fair enough. They have their place in music history. But here it is, the Pasacalia in D minor by Dietrich Buxtehuda.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Welcome back to From the Concert Hall. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Sturch. Um, just a little uh, added information for tonight. Uh, something we haven't done in the past. Um, we're just reaching out to the community and uh, letting you guys know that uh, From the Concert Hall is now currently looking for uh, sponsors for our show. Our sponsors, um, we're looking for people who or people, organizations, companies that can help us bring in more artists like what we've seen thus far this year. So if you've been keeping track with the show, been like, hey, I really like hearing this person on and I'm a local business owner, please let us know. Get in contact with us. We'd love to have a few sponsors. And also, all of our sponsors will be uh, mentioned inside the show or during the show. Right. It's. I mean, this has become quite a popular show thanks to some of our guest artists on this season. Our statistics came back and we've reached 38 different countries now. It's and, phenomenal. I mean, it's a great opportunity for any business to get their name out there and help themselves grow and to help support the arts within our local community. Absolutely. And it really just it helps us out, keeps the show on the air, really does good for us as well. So yeah. we reach out to the community. If anyone would like to, please get in contact with us. Feel free. Right. Now, up next in our program, we've got two choral preludes on Von Gut Will Ich Nach Lassen. This is... A part of a hymn that, well, not part of a hymn. It's a prelude on a hymn. You would hear this either right before a song, kind of in between verses of a song, or right after a song. So it's not necessarily the parts that are sung. This isn't the accompaniment to the hymn. This is a break in the hymn, the introduction, the ending. So people know it's coming and can have a break. I remember exclusively listening to Dr. Gorman talk about her experience in Germany as an organist once for a church, she said that um, German German organ hymns, the people sing them so slowly, they need that break. <laughs> <laughs> she said she can remember improvising a lot between different verses in a hymn to give people the break they needed on a hymn. Well, that's interesting. Yes, she says it was like um, the Kentucky Derby coming back to America in comparison. <laughs> Wow, that's that's pretty funny. <laughs> it is, but you know, it's always great to talk with Dr. Gorman and learn more from her about her experiences in Germany and hearing from her about Buchs de Huda. I, I know it's a composer she cares deeply about and is really knowledgeable on. We hear her preludes a lot in chapel or for big events, or a lot of Buchs de Huda or Pachelbel or Bach. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of different music, a lot of uh, music from this era. Um, and basically any organ piece that you can think of, she is up for the challenge. Yes. Afraid of no music. <laughs> no, one of my favorite stories is listening to the horror stories behind the Toccata and Fugue. Oh, absolutely. Well, not Toccata and Fugue, but the Vidor's Toccata from his Fifth Symphony. That's what it was. Yes, I got the wrong piece there. But going back to the, going back to the actual show topic, this would have been the part in the piece where, well, not piece, this is a hymn, a song, where the musician really had his chance to shine. shine. Yeah. Shine and remind the people why it is that they love music, why they've chosen that certain musician. Why they're the director of music and also the treasurer of the church. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I control your money. (laughs) So just a little bit, just kind of add in that they were uh, that that was what they were doing it for. Not entirely, but that's that's a good bit. I would say that they were just kind of reminding the people, hey, you know, I'm not just here as you know for right. show. I actually have talent. It's that artistic expression that they were known for and Absolutely. loved for. So here it is, the two choral preludes on Von Gott ich nach Sorry, Von Gott will ich nach lassen by Dietrich Buxtehude as performed by Jorgen Ernst Hansen at the organ of the Church of the Savior in Copenhagen, Denmark. Enjoy.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. You are listening to From the Concert Hall, here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Welcome back again to From the Concert Hall. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Sturch. I'd like to thank everyone who's been listening in with us tonight as we've gone through some of the organ music of Dietrich's Buxtehude. Certainly not all of it, but a good representation of it, I think. Absolutely. Um, great artist, uh, great music that he wrote. Um, lived a pretty good life. I would say so. I mean, he had kids, a wonderful life, great jobs in the church. Never worried about money. No, it was... I would say he's, comfortable living. He has earned his spot in the music hall of fame that he has. Absolutely, he did good work, um, especially with what he had, and he influenced many people to do better. Right. So, great yeah. artist all around. Before we let you go tonight, we of course will have to remind you how to get in touch with us through the week. Because, as always, we love to hear back from our community, feedback from our listeners, interesting topics on what you think would be a great thought for an upcoming show. And, you know, just to remind you of some things coming up, one thing to keep in mind, if you've heard about it, the Spring Greening is coming back to Clarksville this year, and from the concert hall, we'll be there live that day with you to the whole festival to be your live radio station that day. So hopefully we'll see you all there. But a way to get in contact with us before then is by Facebook. You want facebook.com forward slash from the concert hall. On Twitter at FTCH underscore KUOZ through Instagram, because, you know, radio can have a face, too. <laughs> We're not just the voice. Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at KUOZ Concert Hall, or through the old-fashioned system of email at from the concert hall radio at gmail.com. Now, Zach, I believe you've got an announcement for our community at large there. Absolutely. One thing I forgot to mention earlier, um, I would, I'd hate to forget to ask you guys to reach out to us, uh, let us know. Um, we are definitely looking for local talent. We've had many people come in who have been big names and uh, from out of the state or you know somewhere else in the country, far off, you know, west, east coast, stuff like that. But we hate to forget about our own community that we love so much. We love being here at Ozarks, and we love the community that we're in. And we know that there are plenty of musicians out there, and we want you guys to get a hold of us. Come to the show. Let us talk about you, promote you a little bit. Exactly. This is a thriving artistic community, and it it would be a shame not to give it more credit than what it's really due. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's it's a wonderful community, and I would love to see more of our local artists on the show. So don't be shy. Shoot us an email. Let us know, hey, I'm a local artist or a local writer, something. We appreciate all of the arts. Or if you know someone, you're not necessarily that person, it's okay to tell on your friend that they're a musician. Mm-hmm. Volunteer them as tribute. Yes. So to say. The odds are ever in their favor. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, let us get a hold of them, maybe. You know, just give us their phone number or something like that. So that way, if they're not brave enough to do it themselves, we can kind of, you can push them in the right direction and we can push them into the studio. Exactly. I'd love nothing more than to send out another, we want you on from the concert hall letter. Exactly. I sent out one earlier this week to a local artist we'll see in April, and I'm excited to send more. That'd be great. But, of course, as always, this wouldn't be possible without sponsors, and we are actively seeking sponsors to help us bring the show to a wider community, help us with marketing, and help us keep the show going and bring in these artists that people have come to love here on From the Concert Hall. So, if you're interested in learning more, please get in touch with us via email at fromtheconcerthallradio at gmail.com or by calling us here at the office at 479-979-1460. We'd love to talk with you more on the subject and see what we can't do about setting up a relationship between our show and individuals, our businesses or organizations or communities. We, we're here for you. And it's from the support of listeners like you that shows like ours and different shows within our program to continue. Absolutely. 
just every little bit helps and we appreciate everything that this community does for us and everything and we hope that you guys can come to appreciate everything that we can do for your community exactly now to play you out tonight is the prelude in f sharp minor by Dietrich Buxtehude as performed by Jorgen Ernst Hansen at the organ of the church of the savior in Copenhagen so again thank you and a good night to all <laughs>